to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. Just wave to them. They'll get a Bible into your hands and it'll be marked to our passage this morning. And then please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord uh, to you today. Greatest book in the world. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke, representing the presence of the Lord. And so I said, Isaiah declared, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. And then I said, How long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate, The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming, as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it's cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your eternal word. Thank you that none of Nothing is in this book by accident, but all of it is here in order to teach us about you and about your heart and about your ways. And we pray that you would take this great chapter, this great revelation of you, and that you would speak personally into our lives today. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you know us. That's a marvel that you know us and love us. But we're thankful for that. We thank you for your interest in our life, Lord, your commitment to us, your faithfulness. We thank you for your power that you're greater than every need that we have in our life this morning. Speak to us, Lord, from your word we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Isaiah chapter 6 is one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible. 
because it is a record of the formal uh, commission of the prophet Isaiah into his prophetic calling. The timing of the event is very, very significant. We're told in verse 1 that it occurred in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah was one of the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. He, along with King David, was one of only eight kings. The entire history of the nation of Israel and then later the divided kingdoms of Israel and Judah to be described by God as having done what is right in the sight of the Lord. He was one of the good kings of Judah. He began his reign at the age of 16 and militarily he oversaw the rebuilding of Judah's military the development of a very, very well-organized, highly disciplined, magnificently equipped military army. He rebuilt and he refortified Jerusalem's defenses, we're told, in the Word of God. He gave, uh, God gave him great military victories over the Philistines, over the Arabians and others, even forcing the Ammonites to pay tribute to him. He expanded Judah's territory greatly, regaining territory that had been lost to uh, Judah's enemies in previous, under previous reigns. And in doing so, the Bible says his fame spread far and wide throughout the entire region. His fame became known even to the doorstep of Egypt, one of the great powers of the day. In terms of material prosperity, he developed massive agricultural projects within the land involving the digging of wells and the enlargement of the husbandry and livestock and farming. And in this and other ways, he brought a material prosperity to Judah that it hadn't known since the time of King, of King Solomon almost 200 years earlier. Spiritually, he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was determined all the days of his life to seek God, and he went to Zechariah for spiritual instruction. He was a strong influence in the nation and in the world for good and for God. And ultimately, he had a bit of a hiccup in his life later in, in life. And God was forced to smite him with leprosy due to his actions related to pride. But he continued his reign from isolation uh, through his son Jotham until his death. And he ruled long and he ruled well. And in fact, he was so highly esteemed by the nation, that even though he died a leper, they still buried him among the kings of Judah. For 52 years, and I think that perhaps the most remarkable thing of all about his reign was just the sheer length of it. Uzziah reigned for an astonishing 52 years. Wow! How'd you like to have a good president for 52 years? That'd be something. A president like that for 52 years. 
Amazing. For 52 years, Uzziah provided a physical and a moral and a spiritual covering for the southern kingdom of Judah. For 52 years, there was a tremendous material prosperity. There was political stability. Uh, There was skilled and energetic leadership on his part, and most importantly, godly leadership. And even though the fact of the matter was that on an individual basis, the individual people that made up the nation uh, at that time, they were drifting toward wickedness and apostasy. They did so, though, in spite of Uzziah's leadership and not because of it. During his reign, as bad as things were going morally and spiritually, among an ever-increasing number of individuals, the righteous, like Isaiah, never had to wonder whether where Uzziah stood on all of this. They never had to wonder whether or not they had a spiritual friend or an ally in the king. And for 52 years, he provided Isaiah and other righteous men and women like him with a stable ministry environment. He took the care of the big picture of running the nation so that they could then focus on the smaller picture of what God had called them to. And this is the kind of leadership that Uzziah provided to Judah, and this is the only kind of leadership that Judah had known for 52 long and wonderful years. And as a result... The death of Uzziah was an indescribable, shattering loss to both the nation and to Isaiah. And the news of Uzziah's death would have hit Judah and would have hit Isaiah like a ton of bricks. Uzziah was the only king that Isaiah had ever known to sit on the throne of Judah in his entire lifetime. He'd never known the throne of Judah to be vacant. And the news of the loss of Uzziah would have shaken and unsettled the hearts of everyone living in Judah, including Isaiah. Instantaneously, it would have produced two Results in each and every one of them. At first, they would have had an immediate sense and, and being filled with a sense of loss in their immediate past. It's the kind of loss, the death of a person, where it, the death is so significant related to your life that you're left walking in a daze for days and for weeks. This was a disorienting loss that had just occurred in Isaiah's life. And then second, it would have been followed by a just as powerful sense of fear and uncertainty concerning the future. So a great loss in the immediate past, a great uncertainty and fear concerning the future. And what they were facing, what Isaiah was facing, the nation was facing, was what is often referred to today as a new normal. 
where a person's life has just been subjected to some loss that's so great that they realize that their life will never be the same again. Where something happens in a person's life that is so significant that they realize that the life that I once knew has been permanently changed. That normal is gone. It's gone forever. And now it has to be replaced by a new normal. And very often this happens just as it does here in the passage because of death. The death of a spouse. The death of a child. The death of a father or a mother. I remember my mother's death very well and the impact that it had upon me. The death of a brother or a sister or a close and dear friend the death of a spiritual example or mentor. Every time I officiated a memorial service or a funeral service, it's always with the recognition that for many who are in that gathering, life has unalterably and permanently changed for them. That the old normal is gone for this family. And now it will need to be replaced by a new normal. And that isn't easy in a person's life. And sometimes this new normal occurs in our lives because of other issues besides death. Sometimes it occurs because of an unexpected and an unwanted divorce. I've heard Some who've experienced divorce describe it as an experience worse than death. I'll tell you, I don't doubt it. Sometimes this new normal occurs when a person's life is unalterably changed due to a medical diagnosis or a medical condition. Many times I've left a hospital room after visiting someone in that hospital And their life has been instantly and permanently changed by some permanent health issue, serious health issue that has introduced itself into their life. And I leave the room and thinking to myself, unless the Lord miraculously heals them, their life has changed forever. And they're going to need to fashion and come to accept a new normal. And so will their family. I'll tell you, you can finish the list of the losses in life that can hit us so hard that they leave us disoriented for a time. They fill us with a sorrow and a mourning today. And then that is immediately followed upon with this sense of uncertainty and fear concerning the future. And most of us can... Fill in that list from our own lives, from our own experience. Why? Because life in this fallen world is a life of loss. It begins with hair. It moves to eyesight. It moves then to teeth. It moves to strength. It moves to mental capacity. Innocence. 
loved ones, no one escapes it. Not even a child of God. This fallen world is a place of loss. And one day we will be home in heaven and we will never ever again experience this kind of loss, loss of any kind ever again. But for now, life is a constant adapting to a new normal. Now, as we know, Isaiah transitioned out of his old normal and into a new normal. He was successful in that. And he would go on to serve the Lord for many, many long years after this event in his life. And so what I'd like us to do this morning is to just notice five things from Isaiah's life concerning how to adapt to a new normal when we have experienced a great and a significant loss or change in our life. First, this passage teaches us to draw closer to God than we have ever been before. Let me just speak to the person that's in that place of loss today. You need to draw closer to God than you have ever been to him before. No matter how well you know him, no matter how intimately you know him, no matter how closely you walk with him, you need to draw even more closely to him in your walk with him. Not everyone does that in a loss like this and in a crisis like this. Some people allow a crisis like this to cause them to drift spiritually or some will even pull away from God and it is always a terrible, terrible mistake. Don't make that mistake. It isn't unlikely that Isaiah received this vision of the Lord while he was kneeling in worship at the gate of the holy place at the temple in Jerusalem. And if that's true, then he used this time of great loss, the loss of Uzziah, to draw even closer to the Lord. And in fact, this vision that God gives to him is probably a response to Isaiah's reproach. And it's not inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. In James chapter 4, verse 8, James declares, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But for this point, to focus on that drawing near to God. And this passage teaches us that it's always a good time to draw near to God. And it's, it, this is especially true in a season of great loss. You say, well, you know, that's a kind of a simple point. But, you know, it's a powerful point. It's an important point when we are disoriented in a loss like that to realize the first thing we need to do is draw even closer to the Lord than we've ever been before. Second, you be confident that God will draw near to you in your time of need and in your time of loss. 
you need to realize that you're not alone, even if you feel that you are. Be confident of the fact that God will reveal himself to you in a greater measure than you have ever experienced before in your life. Why? Because you need him in a way that you have never perhaps needed him before in your life. And he knows it. And that's exactly what God did with Isaiah through this vision. Now, God may not give you a vision at a moment in need like this, like he did with Isaiah, but he will make his presence known to you in some way. It may be through a peace that surpasses all human understanding where you realize that there's no human explanation for the peace that you're feeling in the middle of this situation. I mean, how many people through the years have I spoken to that know and love the Lord and their world has just been rocked and they'll say, Pastor, I'm experiencing peace. I know it doesn't come from myself or from any human hand or any human source. It's coming from the Lord in my life. There's no other explanation for it. Sometimes God will make his presence known by filling your heart with a comfort that you know is supernatural and is coming from him by providing you with a strength that you know you don't have, but somebody's supplying it to you, and only God can be doing that. Sometimes it's by bringing a verse from the Bible to your remembrance or putting a spiritual song in your heart. You say, where did that song come from? I can't even remember that. I was singing that when I was a child in the 1940s or a child in the 1970s. I haven't sung that song in three decades. And here now, God has put it on your heart and it's just the right song for the moment. And it's God's involvement. It's God drawing near to us at a time of, of need. Or sometimes it's just by Him holding you by the Holy Spirit. And again... Because the Bible teaches, James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God, and then here's the promise, He will draw near to you. God will meet with us in a very, very real, in a very, very powerful way at such times. And that's why you will hear Christians say over and over and over again concerning some difficult season within their life that though it was painful, though it was heartbreaking, though they wouldn't want to ever go through that again, they wouldn't change that chapter in their life because of what they learned from God and about God during that season because of what happened between them and God and that something has become priceless to them. God drew near to them, and he will draw near to you. Third, realize that your life and your situation is not out of control. It feels that way, but that's not the truth about your life. What we feel isn't, doesn't always, our feelings don't always tell us the truth. Our feelings can lie an awful lot. They can be powerful liars, but 
but they don't always tell us the truth. And so you need to realize that your life and your situation is not out of control, but that God has the circumstances of your life very much under control. That's probably the dominant thing that God is speaking to Isaiah through this vision that he gives to Isaiah. Notice in the vision that's described there that this vision of God that Isaiah is given, that God is sitting. He's not anxious. He's not fearful. He's not fretful. He's not worried about you. He loves you. He's concerned for you and that he has a concern and a love for you, but he's not worried about your future. He's not worried about whether you're going to make it. He's not worried about whether you're going to have what you need to go through this season in your life. He's not alarmed. He's not anxious. He's sitting. And you notice further that he's sitting upon a throne. He's not sitting on a couch. He's not sitting on a recliner. He's sitting on a throne. And the throne speaks of the fact that he is actively governing. We're told further that he's high and lifted up. In other words, this throne sat at the top of a series of steps. He's high. He's above everything else. We're told further that the train of his robe filled the entire temple. And the length of a king's robe spoke of his, his greatness. And the greatness of God is so great that it filled the entire temple. The robe that he wore filled the entire temple. That's the greatness of the kingdom that he reigns over. And then significantly we're told that the seraphim declare in verse 3 that the whole earth is filled with his glory. Most often when we study or we examine the song and the praise of the seraphim in this scene, we're captured by the repeated word, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But there's more that they speak. They speak there of the fact that the whole earth is filled with God's glory. In other words, he reigns over the whole earth and he reigns over the whole universe. And each and every one of those things as they just come, bam, 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 one after another, they're intended to communicate God's sovereignty, his almightiness, that he rules over all and that he overrules all for his purposes. And the whole vision is intended to communicate to Isaiah and to you that your life is not out of control. No matter how much it may feel that way, the very God who controls the entire earth and universe is in control of your life. Realize that though your loss has surprised you, it has disoriented you, it didn't surprise him. And there is no uncertainty about your future. One of my favorite verses in this regard is found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, verse 27. And one of the lines in that verse says, And underneath 
by the everlasting arms. And how many of us have discovered that to be true in such moments in our life? We say, who held us? Who kept us? Who's the explanation for our life, for our emotional health, our spiritual health? Who helped us keep our minds, our mental health, in the middle of all of that? Underneath are the everlasting arms. And you're in good hands. You're in sure hands. God is not going to drop you at this time in your life. You'll see. And he will keep every promise he has made to you in his word. And he will work all things together for your good. And it may seem impossible to you today that that could be possible in this situation, but he'll do it and you'll see it happen. Fourth, pour out your heart to God concerning all that you're feeling, all that you're thinking, all that you're needing. And for Isaiah, that meant talking to the Lord about his deep consciousness of his sin and specifically that God would cleanse and sanctify his lips unto the Lord and unto the Lord's purposes. But for you, it'll be something different. The pain that you're feeling, the worry that you're experiencing, the fears that you have, the anger that you've got going on, in your life. These are the things that you're going to need to lift up to the Lord. And the book of Psalms is full of these kind of expressions being expressed to the Lord. And God will be active in your prayers and in your cries. It isn't that when we pray to him at times like this that we're informing him of something that he doesn't already know or that we are praying to him for his benefit or to meet some need in his life, but he knows that we have a need to talk to somebody. There has to be somebody we can pour the entirety of our heart out, be open, be honest with, totally honest with, in the midst of our needs. How many people can carry in a crisis like this? How many other people can hear what we're thinking? How many people could carry that? How many people could process that? Only the Lord can do that. And one of the interesting things is to read through the book of Psalms and you see it over and over again where the psalm begins with a psalm crying out to the Lord concerning some fear in his life, some confusion in his life. And he begins to cry out to the Lord, eloquently to the Lord, what he's feeling, the depth of his emotion, what he's thinking, his passion. And then somewhere there in the course of the psalm, there's a change that occurs in his tone. And the psalmist then begins to move from the fear and the confusion and then even from the anger and he begins to express faith in God and he begins to possess a boldness that wasn't there earlier in the psalm and the psalm then ends in a triumphant expression of faith. What's happened there in that situation? God became 
actively involved in their processing of their situation in prayer. And he did not stop in his ministry to them until as they poured their heart out to God, all of it out to God, all of its ugliness out to God in some regards, all of its carnality in some respects out to God. God did not stop this ministry of actively engaging with them until they moved from a spiritually unhealthy place into a spiritually healthy place. You say, how long do I cry out to God in a situation like this? How long do I pray? How long do I weep before Him? You do it until there is that breakthrough that occurs, until you sense His con- the, you have this consciousness in your heart that God has begun to now move in my life and to begin to minister to my heart and to my thinking and to bring change to what it is that I'm thinking and how I'm seeing my situation. The psalmists and the psalms, they never stopped until they began to sense that activity of God in their life, until they sensed He has moved me from an unhealthy spiritual place into a healthy spiritual place. And so he does with us. We begin by pouring our hearts out to God in prayer, in one spiritual condition. By the time we're done, we're complete in a completely different and better place spiritually. Why does that happen? Why does that happen? You know it happens. You've experienced. Why does it happen? It's because God becomes actively involved as we're trying to process our situation in prayer to Him. And we know when we get done with that time of pouring our hearts out to God that it wasn't us who produced the change, but it was Him who produced the change. And He's so wonderful in this way. One of my favorite verses in the Bible in this regard is Psalm 62, verse 8. David writes and he says, Pour out your heart before him. And the word pour means literally to spill. Spill your heart out to God, all of it. And I have a very graphic image of this in my mind. I have a twin brother by the name of Gabe, and we grew up as known spillers in our home. No glass of milk at dinner time was safe. There was no telling when it would spill all over the table, and when it would spill, all of that milk would go out of that glass all across the table. And that's what God is saying. In Psalm 62, you pour your heart out to me and all of its fullness. Tell him everything. Again, not to inform him, but because he knows that we have a need to tell him because of what it does in us and what he will do as we talk with him. 
And as we pray to him, God is a safe listener. As I said before, not everyone can handle knowing what's going on in our heart at a time like this. Not everyone can carry the weight of it, but he can. Lord, I'm so confused. I don't get this. I don't get it. Lord, this is so painful. I, it hurts so much. I don't know that I'm going to get through this. Help me, Lord, to get through this situation. Help me to get through another hour of all of this. And remember, when you pray, you are always approaching a throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. You might write it down. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's not going to put you in a headlock. He's not going to whoop you. He's not going to shame you. He's not going to hurt you. He is going to minister grace and mercy that is an exact match for your specific need when you approach him in prayer and pour your heart out to him. And fifth, it's important that you remember that God still has a plan for your life. No, things won't be the way that they were. They will be different. It will be a new normal. But he still has a plan for your life. And the plan that he has for your life is described in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, as good, acceptable, and perfect. And that plan still lies out before you. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. And so recommit to his plan and to his purposes for your life and remain committed to his plan for your life whatever the price you might have to pay in order to be faithful to that plan of his for your life. I think that it's important to be engaged in Christian service and to never allow these kind of seasons to move us, certainly not permanently and probably not even temporarily from a place of God's calling upon our lives in Christian service, whatever the gifting and the calling might be, because Christian service protects us from an unhealthy isolation and it protects us from self-pity. And it keeps our world as big as God's kingdom. And we need that when our world is going to become as small as the crisis. However big that crisis might be, that might be the thing that uses up all of the oxygen 
in the room and in our life for the rest of our life, if there isn't something stronger than the emotion that we're feeling that forces us to take a bigger look at the world and to engage in the world uh, outside of the greatness of our crisis. And the Lord knows that we need that. Christian service keeps us in the mix with other people, with spiritually healthy people who bring needed perspective to our lives just by their presence. And it keeps us connected with normal in the world while God is healing us. And we need to be connected with normal and we need to be connected with healthy when we're in a season like that. And Christian service keeps us in that place. And it also exposes us to the needs in other people's lives and allows us to then help them, which keeps us from again becoming isolated and lost in our own heads and our own world indefinitely. And so this world that we live in, it's a fallen old place and change is happening all of the time. And the old normal is transitioning into a new normal all of the time as well. And I pray that these five important things that God ministered to Isaiah in the time of his loss will be stabilizing, health-giving in the midst of your loss, loss in the past, loss that you're feeling today, the losses that will yet await us on our journey and our pilgrimage to heaven. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a high priest who is able to sympathize with everything we feel, everything we think, and everything we experience in this life. And Jesus, we thank you for giving us access at tremendous expense to yourself, to the throne of God. Thank you for making that throne a throne of grace, a place that we can always go, knowing that all we will ever receive from that throne is grace and mercy that is a perfect match for our need. Thank you for understanding, Lord. Thank you for knowing. Thank you for being greater than our every need. And I pray, Lord, and we pray for one another, 
that you would use this wonderful passage of Isaiah chapter 6 to minister healing and to minister hope into every needy heart here today. And we ask these things and we give you praise and thanks in your name, in Jesus' name, amen.